No one will be admitted after the guests check in. my shoe three four open the door five six and pick up sticks and seven eight i'm feeling great nine ten your name's ben eleven twelve go to health thirteen fourteen gotta squirt team fifteen sixteen gonna this is why i always skip the first 45 seconds of my own <laughs> podcast <laughs> it's the best part it's the only thing i listen to is it i you just it... shut it off right <laughs> after that yeah when i do my edits it's to make the intro as good as possible, and then the rest is up to God. <laughs> the rest is... I don't even listen to the rest of it when I'm editing. Yeah. Anyway. It was... Come back... I'm not done. Oh, okay. My name is Frank, and I've got to say, your podcast will be here on another day. Another day, another dollar, another white collar... Stop. This is the worst intro we've ever done. <laughs> and I've said that before. This trumps that. Oh, wow. This is Donald Trump's that. <laughs> Keep your politics <laughs> out of my podcast. Anyway, welcome back to Motel Hell. I am Ben the Beardo. I'm Dick the Dicko. And finally, guys, after months of edging, months and months of edging, it's you're begging been, for it at months? this point. That's months. That is months. And months. And months. You begging for it. You need that release. You want for that squirting. You want that Shinya Sukamoto nut. Yeah. And Dick Fetty is going to give it to you. I get minimally 100 Instagram messages a day from various ghost accounts and somebody who calls himself, quote, the puppet master and then has a picture of the puppet master from the manga of Ghost in the Shell, not the anime. So... I'm pretty sure that it's the real Puppet Master based on that. And it looks like it was an actually scanned picture from the manga rather than just some cell phone picture. Does he get all existential and weird on you? Or is it just, or is it just like, show me your feet? No, it's, it keeps saying Shinya Tsukamoto, question mark, dot, 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 question mark. And then it says dot, 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 I will implant memories of you recording the episode so that you then record it. And I was like, but then wouldn't I not record it? Yeah, it's nuts. It's real. It, the pressure is so real right now for me, and I get to finally crack that yeah. beer and open that valve. Shoot that nut. Shoot that nut. Rope City. Yep, yep. Also, um, if you guys send cum tributes of uh, your jasm on pictures, well, of they Dick know Freddy. what a cum tribute is. If they listen to this podcast, you know what a cum tribute is. That's actually a fair point. If you send them to Dick Fetty, uh, the best one that we see gets a little sample of what's still coming out of my drain. So. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. And it definitely has a oh, like a sort of blended turkey gravy look to it. It's different than the pot roast gravy look it had before. I was I was thinking like, like oh, coffee I'll, with creamer. Oh. And you know what? Just to make it look a little bit like a Starbucks coffee, we'll throw some foam in it. Sure. And I'll sprinkle some of the solid stuff that actually comes out of the site on it, like uh, like Dolce powder or whatever. Yeah. Uh, if you send the physical copy of your cum tribute to me, I will put it on my wall, take a picture, and send it to you. Do you want me to post your address on the Facebook? No, but if they send me pictures of the cum tribute, then I'll send them my address. 
So get in touch with us on the Gmail or on the Motel Hell Instagram. Uh, no, just send them directly to Dick Fetty's Instagram DMs. No, I'm basically done with that Instagram. Just send them to the Motel Hell Instagram. We okay. can we can accept cum tributes there. Okay. So, and we will not post them without accrediting you and getting your consent. Or if we don't have your consent, we'll post them anyways and not credit you. So your choice. Tributes now, please. Would uh, And this is going to stay off topic probably for longer than it should. But if you post not a picture of someone's genitals, but of their semen, is that fall under revenge porn law? Well, revenge porn law isn't a thing. Yeah, it is. Well, not really. I mean, basically... People get in a lot of trouble for revenge porn. Yeah, but that's that's not, quote, revenge porn law. There's not a law in the book that says <laughs> revenge porn. You There's know, a revenge dot, porn dot. lawyer out there who only specializes in revenge porn. It's possible. But basically, if you're talking criminal charges, the state has to prosecute. And if it's in the case of a complaining witness... So, say you're the person whose genitals are posted, and you go to the police and say, my genitals were posted by my ex... And they say, okay, and the picture was taken without consent, then you would have charges stemming from that, as well as the fact that it was posted online without consent. If the picture was taken with consent, but then was illegally disseminated, then it would be different sets of charges. But state and federal laws are different and you I'm talking wanna... about just a picture of jizz so I guess they probably couldn't prosecute because they couldn't prove that it, that jizz belonged to somebody in particular. Well they, they might be able to but I don't know that jizz would fall under I don't know that the fluid itself is I guess it would depend on the state's pornography laws and then whether or not that could then tangentially sort of get work its way into like other criminal stuff but I would say probably not just because the jizz itself doesn't reveal something private. It would be like having somebody having a picture of your blood. So while it is generally inside you and not outside of you, <laughs> having like your genitals revealed would be a breach of your own personal confidentiality, I guess I would say, sort of your privacy, you know, and would require consent. But fluids of a person might be under HIPAA, it's almost like medical information, mm -hmm. but I would say it'd be pretty tough because the question would be, what's the harm? So if somebody posted a picture of your semen, but it was just your semen and nothing else, I would say there's no harm, so there's no real crime. Interesting, interesting. So what movie did we watch tonight, Dick Fetty? We watched Nightmare Detective. Nightmare Detective. But we will save the review and the racism for when we get to it <laughs> in the appropriate time in the episode. So as Ben said, we are back. Uh, I've got the final Shinya Tsukamoto episode outline done, ready. We're here tonight. We're going to deliver it to your ear holes. Don't worry. Don't have to listen to us tell a bunch of personal stories about shit you don't necessarily care about. You took the words out of my mouth, Ben. Uh, yeah, Tonight will not be a series of drug stories <laughs> at all. I don't think I have a single drug story. I wasn't story. even talking about that. I was talking about our year-end wrap-up episode. Um, I don't even know if people liked it, but yeah. it's not. It's very, like, off-kilter from... I guess it's just our year-end wrap-up. It's just our tangents in one episode. Sure, to a point. I mean, it's basically just rehashing the excellence of The Witch and Robert Eggers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And every so. time I say his name, I just think of Egger from Men in <laughs> Black. 
which was truly Vincent D'Onofrio's greatest role, except for maybe when he played that guy in the cell, which we oddly talked about earlier tonight. Full circle. Full circle. The moon is flat. You ready for this? (laughs) I'm ready, Dick Fetty. I love that. So where did we leave off? We left off with the 1999 feature film Gemini, which, uh, which I have not seen, still haven't seen, sadly, in the interim. Now, I guess I'll preface this episode by saying... What was it? Last Friday, the yeah. announcement came out that they're doing a big Shinya Tsukamoto box set on Arrow, and the pre-orders up on Diabolic DVD. And I thought, of oh, fucking course, but it doesn't ship for till April. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was thinking I could push this off till then, but that would be so extremely lazy. That we also had nothing else prepared. Yeah, nothing, nothing. So I buckled down and got this done. The next movie uh, in Shinya Tsukamoto's oeuvre is Snake of June. From 2003, 77 minutes long. I've heard conflicting sources, whether it's 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter. I think it's 16. And it was shot in black and white, tinted blue after the fact. And uh, is basically the culmination of Shinya Tsukamoto's desire to make an erotic film for about 15 years. And the way he talks about it, every year the rainy season would start in June and his desire to make this erotic film would begin again. So he's just horny for June. Well, just June makes him horny. Yeah. Because if you've been to Japan, and humble brag, I've been there a few times, it's uh, very hot in June. And it it's understandable. It's kind of too humid, but it's the kind of humidity where it's like everybody's blouses. So horny. Yeah, and their skirts are all like... Or, uh, you know, or pants or whatever you're into, but... Women probably don't listen to our podcast. Yeah, I sure hope not. So, no, not in a, you know, I want them to, but we're... But they don't. They don't. So, yes, uh, the heat and humidity would push the desire for him, but since he's an incredibly... Sl- well, he can be a very slow screenplay writer, the urge would dissipate before he ever got pen to paper. But Jim and I came out in 1999 and was a very was was produced filmed the whole nine very quickly especially by Sukamoto standards a snake of june then had this four-year gestation period and the idea like i said had been around for a long time for him and the sort of basic plot that he had developed years and years and years before he started filming was that he uh, wanted it to be a stalker terrorizing a housewife basically and involve like sex games and kind of go from there and is there full penetration? I don't think so. No. Wow. I will say that. So after the success of Gemini and the films before it, and especially the sort of burgeoning interest in France for his films, he went to Canal Plus Studios with this idea for the movie, thinking they were going to be all about it, and they said no. I want to make a porno, but it's not a porno. Precisely. And they were not into it and so he decided to just do his usual and do it himself it's just that episode of always sunny back to the lab more full penetration fighting crime full penetration true so the the difference that he wanted to make with the film is that the there's barely any nudity in his prior films but any kind of sexuality is either sort of masked choreography makeup effects whatever 
like the the moments that signify sex or sexual release it, we didn't see it so much in bullet ballet but it was there but it was way more in tokyo fist they're still highly stylized and not like erotic in the normal sense what i'm just giggling because you said there was sexy times in tokyo fist because i'm a child and mm. you talk about fisting a lot ah uh, sure <laughs> yes yeah no it wasn't that kind but anyways the idea was that this would be more traditionally erotic it would there would be a real focus on the human form, the female form, the male form as well, and like actual legit, just normal nudity in its sort of regular eroticness. Um, you should have watched that tonight. Yeah, I thought about that, honestly. So I watched this movie the first and only time last summer, probably. Maybe it was last fall, and I bought it the year before. And I had one idea of what it would be like, and it was very different than that. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more in a second. The The movie itself and the screenplay evolved as they do with Tsukamoto's stuff over time and sort of expand. And his original idea was it was going to be like way more sex games between the stalker and housewife, way more violent and way more perverse. And he really wanted to sort of highlight the uh, dichotomy. Well, not even dichotomy, like the, the relationship between sex and violence and the sort of base animal needs for both that human beings have and again that that sort of classic theme of the sterile city versus like blood sweat fuck juices like the whole nine like the the messiness of humanity versus the sterility of modern urbanization modern living yeah i'm sold on this movie <laughs> yeah it's really good so the it was inspired in part by george but batales batale batale's story of the eye from 1928 about a transgressive love affair between two teens, sex games with increasing violence that ends poorly. So the major part of the film that is seen right away when you watch it is rain. So not only does the rain inspire Tsukamoto to make the film, but it is like the primary character of the film, even more than the uh, main actors. And it it just it plays so many roles in it but it's like the primary moving force in a lot of ways and Tsukamoto talks about water's transformative properties saying that and this is a direct quote water stimulates the growth of weeds and plants between the concrete which in turn attracts insects and brings life into this concrete world and in the movie you see that over and over again the the blue hue on top of the black and white photography of the film is like it's warm instead of cold. Most of the time now with digital color correction, blue is like to make things yeah. colder. It does not do that. It it has this like, like not like like a balmy. It's a, like a balmy blue, even though it's very cool looking with with the heat of the film. It works. It works really well. Uh, he so, Sukamoto got Asuka Kurosawa to play Rinko Tatsumi who's the housewife. She was one of the three actresses considered for the lead female character in Tokyo Fist, but she didn't. he didn't meet with her at that time. When he was casting for this movie, she was the first choice he had, uh, partially because he liked from the audition she did before, but also because he, he thought of her as having a sort of more Italian-type build of broader shoulders and like thicker legs in that TICC yeah. kind of way. 
and got sickness for the thickness <laughs> precisely and he talks about how like that's very much his kind of thing and her haircut her look the sort of transformation of her character in the movie it's definitely not like the waif like waifu of the sort of normal anime idols whatever and we'll talk about it a little bit with nightmare detective or even the women in Bullet Ballet or Tokyo Fist that have that like sort of like wide-eyed, yeah. childlike aspect. Like she is a woman, and then her husband is played by Yuji Katori, who plays Shige Hiko. He's a in real life a Japanese author and occasional actor. Shinya picked him in par- partially because of his, well, primarily because of his shiny bald head and his sort of unique-looking face, and he's. He has like that kind of character actor sort of like unique look and style to him. Mm-hmm. And so they play a married couple. She's a suicide hotline uh, a telephone operator and he's like of an academic is. or business guy or whatever, right? So in the beginning of the movie, she saves Shinya Sukamoto's life by talking him out of killing himself and then he starts stalking her and that's how the movie basically starts. And I don't really want to get too much more into the plot like most of his movies it's as much about the development of the plot as well as the sort of increasingly intense and bizarre imagery that comes with the transformation of the characters and then is like you know represented in these wild visuals it's it's just it's like it's a movie about a woman's transformation and sort of self-actualization and embracing of her own like erotic desires, but not in any kind of corny way, like in this incredibly kind and loving way. It's really, it's, it's strange. It's like, it's a very erotic movie, but it doesn't end in a sort of blue velvet style, like weird fucked up secrets behind the suburban door. Yeah. Although in many ways it has a lot of things like that, but it's more of just like, even through weird beginnings and awful bad things, like we can grow as people and sort of come face to face with what we really want. Having a weird sense of deja vu right now. Hmm. Like I think we've talked in depth outside of the podcast about this movie. Yeah. Or this theme. It does. I I do also am experiencing that. It's really gorgeous. It's wonderful. I... I liked it from the beginning because there's this whole voyeurist aspect and a big one of the cool things about it is he shot it in standard format in part to create a sense of claustrophobia and also to separate the characters in the frames from each other so that like it could only be one character at a time. So you get a lot of the classic kind of Tsukamoto style cinematography but it and there's a lot of hyper connect like hyper movement. Right. But hyperkinetic sorry that's the word i'm looking for but there's also a lot more staticness to it it's it's a mix of shit he wanted to pay homage to sort of the old Essen photo magazines of his youth and the sort of seedy locked room atmosphere of edogawa rampa that we've talked about ad nauseum and he also wanted to incorporate within like the using standard formatting the coloring and everything else capturing this wetness and specifically hydrangeas, but also other flowers and snails, 
through this lens to, to kind of give you these almost like still life type images. All the sexy garden things. Yeah, mixed in with, you know, the sexy, sexy things. The film premiered at the Venice Film Festival in September 2002. It was shown as part of a new portion of the festival called Upstream. And it won the special jury prize, which was like sort of the, it's not really a silver prize, but they were originally told they were going to win a bigger prize. And then they won a different one instead, which was the special jury. But it was still really good as far as publicity went for Shinya Tsukamoto and just nice for him to get some kind of uh, recognition for what he did. There were, there was specifically a French female director who was on the panel who was, uh, made a lot of erotic feminist films and she was very much a proponent of it and he was he really thought the film would do much worse than a lot of his prior works even though in many ways it's much more conventional and it seemed to fare better than ever and there was a lot of positive response from female audience members and jury panelists and stuff like that and also reviewers after its full releases all of which was really pleasing for him because of course when you're dealing with something like female sexuality as a male director and you get it wrong and everybody's pissed at you and it's a japanese movie yeah i mean this is 2004 and so there's a lot of you know the things are a little bit different but at the same time like women saw it and thought yes i can identify i like this this is a good movie which is nice you know got something right so that netflix show you is just a shitty version of this movie i guess i don't, I don't know what that is it's about a stalker who oh it's, it's, it's supposed to be a romance about a stalker. Ah. It's not good. Mm. I hate it. It's really gross. In what way? Uh, the whole series idolizes someone who's stalking someone. Ah, yeah. So after the film was released in Japan in 2003, it was received again really well domestically, and he was approached to write a novelization for the film, which originally he didn't want to do. And because he knew they were only going to make 8,000 copies of the book, he could only at most make $10,000 in royalties, which wasn't particularly a lot of money. Yeah. And it took him over three months to write it. So especially for working for three months, that's like not very much money at all. Can we get one? I'm going to look when I go back. Well, it would be in Japanese, though, if you when you're there. That's the only way to get it. Mm. They made 8,000 copies. I don't think they made them in English, too. We should get a English version. We'll read it for our Patreon that we're starting soon. I would love to if they sold an English version, but I don't I'm believe sure they could. Sure, you can find it online somewhere. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> regardless. someone else has got to have their dick as hard as you do for Shinya Tsukamoto. Yeah, that's true. At first, he found this process of novelizing the film extremely difficult, even though he wrote the screenplay himself, but. Halfway into it, there was sort of a change where he became obsessive about it and stopped looking at it as a novelization of his screenplay and looked at it like its own separate entity and really poured his heart and soul into it and talks about how after it was finally published and he got a copy for himself, it's now this almost like fetish object for him where he picks it up and holds it and looks at it and says like, I wrote a fucking book. Like, what do you think about that? What fucking sick is this? Limited edition. Yeah. And during that time period, I think it, the date isn't in the, the book, but it looks to be about mid 2003. His son was born. Cool. So. Been there, you know? Yeah. So A Snake of June is awesome. I would give it a cool 4.5 out of 5. 
I would really like to rewatch it. I only have the DVD. It's part of this new re-released Blu-ray box set. Ooh. And I intend to buy the box set and watch it in the remastered Blu-ray version. It's it's really an exceptional movie and it also is a pretty easy line to draw between all of the movies before this and all the movies after. So even though I intended to cover this film last episode of the Shinya Tsukamoto series, it's kind of the perfect one to start because this is where so much of the insanity, not even insanity, but like the very different or at least visually different themes and motifs of his prior work are quickly pushed to the side to focus on something much more human, even if it still has elements of weird violence, metal fetishism, and blah, blah, blah. It still comes in there, but it's not the focus of the film. So, yeah, I would highly, highly, highly recommend this one. I'm so upset we didn't watch that now. We'll watch it soon. So, then he does a short film called Tokage, meaning lizard in 2003. It's (laughs) 50 minutes. It's high vision. I don't know. I couldn't get any more information about it. It's just his lizard. I hope so. Then there's the next film, which is Vital, in 2004. Now, you know, it'd be even better if it was just... How long was it? What? Lizard. 50 50 minutes. It's just 50 minutes of him beating the shit out of people in Smash Bros. as Yoshi? I'd see that. Vital, 2004. 86 minutes. 35 millimeter. Color. Just like my dick. 35 millimeters? And in color. (laughs) It's only one color. Purple from getting beat. (laughs) So the film was inspired by a back injury that uh, Tsukamoto suffered while he was on a bike ride. He basically got on his bike, experienced a slight pinched nerve in his back, was like, fuck it, I'm not that old, I'll keep riding my bike, and got halfway through his route and went to get off his bike and couldn't because his back completely seized up and he was (laughs) stuck. And so he was put on bed rest, unable to do hardly anything for himself. And during that period, sort of came to realize how kind of fragile the human body can be. And how much he hates biking. No, basically like that, that horrifying feeling of being enfeebled to the point of you can't really do any of the normal things you would do for yourself. Hmm, Sounds familiar. Yeah, right. And so through that experience he came up with this kind of idea or theme for the film which is the question slash statement of consciousness can survive in a lifeless body and subsequently he he had always been interested in dissection in the human body and stuff like that but at the like now his focus became shifted inwards more than ever and he started to study anatomy he went to museums in europe and japan which had um hyper-realistic, like, anatomical models and or, or dead bodies. Like, if he had seen the body exhibits that they had 10 yeah. years ago, he would have lost his shit. Although, actually... They had them. Yeah. Especially in, like... 2004? Europe. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So he probably saw the body exhibit. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And observed dissections in real life in preparation for the film. Yeah, I tried. I was, like, this close to seeing an autopsy and it never came to fruition. Yeah. His interest and obsession, he he talked about how Da Vinci originally had an obsession with, like, space, cosmos, the stars, things like that, flight. 
But over time, the obsession became inwards and sort of like the infinite detail and depth of going smaller rather than bigger and how da Vinci had these like wildly detailed anatomical drawings. And back in the day when scientists and artists had to dig up bodies, you know, illegally to take pictures or not take pictures, draw pictures of them and all that. Yeah. Back when you could dig up a body and be like, no, this is for science, not for fucking. So the first choice for the main actor or the main character, rather Hiroshi Takagi was Tadanobu Asano, who we've talked about on this podcast basically anytime we mention Japanese film. Pretty much. He is ultimate heartthrob material for sure. Handsome man. Handsome. Powerfully handsome. I want to make his face into a bike seat. Yeah. Uh, so he worked with Shinya Tsukamoto previously on Gemini, and he also was in, I think, two different movies with Shinya Tsukamoto. He was in Ichi the Killer in 2000 or 2001, whenever that was. But I think he was also in a different non-Mike film with Tsukamoto, and then he got to hire him again for this movie. But at this point, Tadanobu was like the shit in Japan and was basically one of the most in-demand actors. So from the get, they knew they were going to have a very short period of time to film the movie, and they also had to rent a 35mm camera, so it was going to be more expensive. So the quicker they could shoot it, the less money it would cost. And Tsukamoto being Tsukamoto, he never has enough money and is always having to work his ass off. They got told early on they were going to get funding from the state, from like the Arts Council, but then they were like, we're not going to actually give you any money until the we're movie's... We're not going to do that. Well, until the movie's done, and we don't have to do it, but we think we're going to, but we just, you know, we're, we can't say for sure. So they just have to like go on a hope and a prayer. Are you going to give us money for this movie? Maybe. Yeah, they're like, oh, actually we saw it and we thought, eh, maybe not. So they filmed the movie partially, basically half of it was in Yokohama, in an abandoned hospital and when they got to the hospital and Tadanobu heard the name of it it rang a bell he calls his mom and says where was I born and she tells him the hospital and that's the hospital where they were shooting and so his mom comes to the filming and shows him the room in which the hospital in the hospital where he was born that's pretty cool yeah kind of fun so the plot of the movie is that Asano's character he and his girlfriend are in a car accident and that starts the movie and then he wakes up and basically doesn't remember anything about who he is what happened or anything and his girlfriend dies he was previously in medical school his father's also a doctor but he had quit medical school prior to the car accident he decides after looking through his old stuff that he's going to go back to medical school and his first, like, one of his first things he has to start doing is dissections, and he starts doing dissections. And in his dissection class and in medical school, medical school generally, there's this other girl who is hyper-competitive. And Asana, who in his, like, dreamlike haze is able to just basically, like, ace all his classes, partially because he, like, kind of knows this stuff already and whatever. All the girls want to bang him. Right. And she's super pissed, and she wants to bang him and wants to know what's going on with him. And so she is like starts to get very involved with him but it's not so great because he's kind of like a lifeless husk of a human being and they both they wind up on the same dissection team and they dissect this body together and they become obsessed for different reasons with the person they're dissecting and things go from there the female actresses in it are Ryoko or I'm sorry Nami Tsukamoto who 
plays Ryoko Oyama, who was Asano's dead girlfriend. She's not a traditional actress, but was a highly skilled dancer. And she has these sequences in the film in which she dances, and it's really cool and beautiful and awesome. And then... And great. Yeah. And super. (laughs) Shut up. And really good. Shut the fuck up. Then Kiki, all caps, plays Ikumi, who is the fellow student at the school. Does she have a delivery service? I don't know. I haven't asked her. Okay. She has a extremely intense look. She looks like yeah, Chisato from Battle Royale, the chick in the tracksuit. Yeah, yep. And but even meaner and also prettier. She is And also prettier. Dude, it is like whoa. My god. I mean both of them there's a bunch of choking scenes in a sexual context. <laughs> They really revved my engine. God, I've been so horny all day, and you're just making it worse I, and worse. I don't know what to say. We're covering Japanese film. You're going to get a phone call from my wife tomorrow and be like, Ben crashed his car on the way home. They found his dick out in his hand. Yeah. And then she's going to... How would that be out. different than any other time you're driving, first of all? That's <laughs> a really good point, Dick Fetty, and I appreciate it. Second of all, Jun Kunimura, who is the guy in Outrage, who's like the... Not the dude that gets the mouth thing done, but the other dude who has the dude do the thing to the mouth. He's in all the Yakuza <laughs> movies. He's in all the Mike movies. He plays the dead girlfriend's father. Lily, who is a, was a singer in the 70s and 60s in Japan, was like an old-fashioned Japanese idol, uh, plays Asano's mother. She's not really... She's barely in it, but... It was, like I said, shot in an abandoned hospital in Yokohama, and then... There were a bunch of sequences shot in Okinawa. Originally, Sukumoto toyed with the idea of going to the Philippines or Guam or somewhere else, but it would have been too much of a pain in the ass and not worth it. And also, he's always been very interested in Okinawa. It's gorgeous. It's funny because the other movie we've now... I've watched a couple times in Okinawa is Sonatine, and they convey the Okinawan scenery very differently, but with similar focuses on things being alive there. Yeah. (laughs) So... Uh, last little bits before the gush. This was the first movie that Shinya did digital editing for the final cut of the film. So before this, he hand cut all his films when he edited them and was so used to doing that that he couldn't really imagine doing it a different way. But it's also a wildly time consuming uh, practice. And I'm sure. Yeah, I'd much, imagine so. You know, more difficult, although he it wasn't like he was an amateur, but probably a wider margin for error. And he wound up doing digital editing for this. And in my opinion, you do not... It doesn't feel like things have really changed watching this movie. His themes are slightly different, but to me... Well, basically, I'm going to say more on this in a second. But this is, I think, like his... Like, I don't know. I struggle ranking his films. They're all excellent for different reasons, or they're mostly excellent for different reasons. But this could be my favorite if there wasn't... Tetsuo. I was going to say, if you ended that statement with, this is my favorite, I was going to jaw you, punch the microphone, and walk out of the room. True. Because I don't even know who you are anymore. The, the film had a theme song, which was by Coco, who comes up in a later film I'll talk about in a second. And Chu Ishikawa otherwise does the music. And both in A Snake of June and in this film, he and Tsukamoto struggled with 
what kind of music to use and rather than focus on disparate elements and cacophony and these clanking sounds and that kind of you know tetsuo style harsh electronic work and metal work ishikawa instead tried to create more harmonious and obviously pretty and less intrusive sounds and sound. there's still some serious heavy percussion parts oh, yeah. to it and especially in the beginning of vital there's like this whole like pounding metallic part in the, the very beginning but it, it's definitely a lot more chilled the fuck out and his sort of dynamic range as a composer increases with with each film especially as Sukamoto's sort of whole style becomes uh, much more open and to, to new things and, and sort of focuses. It was shown at Cannes and it was shown at Venice. No prizes were given, but it was well received. So that's the technical stuff. Let's talk about the movie real quick. I already said, I fucking love it. What do you think? I love this movie as well. I don't even remember how long ago we watched it. I think it was only last year, probably. Yeah. I just remember being pretty blown away. Because I think it was... That was the first movie outside of Tetsuo stuff that I'd seen. Probably, think, yeah. By him. I think that's right. And I was not fully prepared for that. Because I didn't know. I'd, I'd seen, you know... Yeah. The Iron Man and Boltman. And that's kind of what I expected and got something totally different. Yeah. And was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I'd say it's more meditative, but... It's only partially true. I think it's it's not like it's a very static film. It's kind of slow in some senses, but I don't really... Like, I watch it... I've watched it five or six times, and I never find it to be slow or hard to get through in any part. I, so it doesn't move fast, it, but it, it moves... It's not boring. It's, it moves the way it's supposed to. So, yeah. like, when I say it, it moves slow, it's not in a bad way. It's... It takes its time. Sure. I And I think that, to my taste, I haven't seen much of his newer work beyond Vital. I think, actually, I've only seen one film. But it's probably visually... Like, in terms of just sumptuous imagery, it's it's the easiest one to watch. Like, it's just fucking gorgeous. And because of the juxtaposition of Yokohama's abandoned hospital versus Okinawan beaches and yeah. rock formations and like lush jungle greenery. It, it works really well. And even though it's an obvious juxtaposition, his whole, like the way he frames and shoots stuff, you know, which if you've seen any of these movies or, you know, heard in our other episodes, like he, he's got like such a magic with buildings and straight lines and pipes and all that kind of like, urban density he knows how to do framing very very well yeah but then translates that just as well to this 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 uh not it's not really pastoral but humid okinawan you know uh natural setting and i just like the it's like the colors even are gorgeous even though they're not it's not i don't know just like everything about them the movie is beautiful and I think the characters are interesting and beautiful, even if they're like a little bit bizarre and reserved and weird. It's very much my kind of movie from the get. Like, there's not a ton of dialogue. I think it's mainly the main character and 
the girl he goes to school with are the ones that are a little bizarre and weird. Everyone else acts pretty normal in the movie. Sure, sure. But, you know, you have a dude who can't remember his past, but is in middle school school, and a girl who's kind of weird to begin with who's obsessed with this dude who's weird. Yeah. Like, all of the parents, the parents of his dead girlfriend, the uh, his parents, they're all normal. They're just like, we're worried about you. Are you okay? <laughs> and he's just like, I don't know. Yeah. And there, there's a lot of... Part of the, I think, the movie's a little confusing at times because the passage of time is yeah. unclear and when and how things are happening can be unclear, but that's what's so good about it. But you, it all comes together once you get to the end of the movie. It all, once you watch the whole thing as one full project, yeah, it all makes sense. To an extent. I do think it definitely improves, the clarity of it improves on the second watching, but even though I've seen the movie five or six times, when I watch it, I still get lost in like just the being unable to discern what's happening and just enjoying it for what it is. And then by the end being like, oh, right, 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 right. But well, you also did get I want to say warning, but you did preface me with like, oh, there's going to be some parts that are stuck out of time and oh, it can I? be a little confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's true. So maybe my experience, of, like, first time watching it was a little bit different than yours, sure. probably. Yeah. Well, the first time I watched it, I have to give credit where credit's due. It was because of my older sister. And I had seen Tetsuo the Iron Man, but I, I didn't know that this was a Shinya Tsukamoto film. I only knew that uh, Sana Tadanobu was the, you know, uh, Kijihara or Kaki, Kakihara, right, from mm-hmm. Ichi the Killer? Yeah my fucking Japanese names all messed up. So I recognized him as an actor, but I didn't know, I didn't have any other greater framing for the film when I watched it. I just thought like, whoa, this movie's crazy and cool. And then she, she the copy I have, she bought for me. We don't, I don't really talk with my older sister now, but, you know, again, credit where credit's due. So, yeah, I would, I would say that this is very different than uh, all of the films that come before it other than The Snake of June, although it's still very different from that too. But at the same time, it's not. Like, the, the sort of malaise in Inuai that permeated are very similar to Bullet Ballet, less so to Tokyo Fist. It's probably closest to Bullet Ballet, even though there's yeah, a lot of different parts. Like, the, the way it plays out is very different, but it's it's an easy one to get a hold of and definitely an easy one to enjoy. So I would highly, highly recommend it. So the next film that Tsukamoto did was called Female, which was part of it's part of an anthology. His segment, I think the anthology itself was called Tamamushi, but it might have been called Female. I was getting conflicting information with this stuff. So Does everything, Tamamushi mean female? I don't know. No, I don't believe so. Everything now I'm going to talk about is past the when the book was written. So my information comes from interviews, or just like pulling articles online and I've seen only one of these movies so this is all going to be a lot quicker and I don't want to pretend to know shit about stuff I don't know so I'm just going to be honest about that up front so this is part of an anthology it was all it was five short films by different directors uh all written by f- five different female authors and a, my understanding is that it sort of has similar themes to A Snake of June. It's about a woman's sexuality, awakening, and that kind of stuff. I don't really know much more than that. Then he did another short film called Haze, which seems to have... I, I think it's been... It's a 
one of his more well-known short films because I often see it. It's been sold as a DVD or like a second DVD on one of his releases, and I see it mentioned a lot of places. I'm very interested in watching it, but basically he he plays a guy who wakes up bleeding from his abdomen in some weird room and tries to figure out what's going on, meets a woman along the way, and they try to piece together what's happening. It's 49 minutes, and there's also a short 25-minute version. I think it was digital video is how it looks, and it's... It's supposed to be pretty good, but I don't really know much more than that. I'm into it. Sounds so, cool. Yeah, my, my other problem is that I didn't want to spoil any of these films for myself, so I didn't read <laughs> detail. I didn't read anything about well, this. I, I read very yeah, Well, no, I just I read very little because I didn't want to spoil things for myself. So then his next movie was Nightmare Detective, Akumu Tante, in 2006, which is 105 minutes. That's what we watched tonight. So before we jump into our thoughts, it's about a, a nightmare detective. <laughs> well, it's about a nightmare detective and a police detective who investigate some suicides, some wacky adventures. Shinji Tsukamoto plays the villain, and it's his first kind of mainstream movie. Ryuhei, Ryuhei Matsuda, I believe is how you pronounce his name, plays Kiyoichi Kagenuma who can enter people's dreams. He's a famous actor who's in the film Taboo, which I think won the Japanese uh, like Academy Award or their film of the year or whatever, which is about a, a hot samurai boy who looks like a girl and everybody wants to fuck him back in the old samurai really familiar. periods. It's, it's like one of those movies that I constantly have automatically recommended to me by every algorithm about movies that I watch. I'm sure I'll really like it. I've just been putting it off. Uh, he was in another one called The Great Passage. He's in the Wes Anderson movie Isle of Dogs. Never seen it. And it also has the guy who plays what I just refer to as Uzi Guy from Battle Royale. <laughs> uh, Uzi Guy. God, I play, love that fucking movie. Yeah, he he's the guy with the Uzi who's like the transfer student who's crazy and yeah. so cool. He was like the coolest when I was a kid. And then it has the the other main detective is the guy who plays the prime minister in Shin Godzilla, but he's also an outrage and like a ton of other shit. He's just like a regular modern Japanese actor. This was like the oh, what's that movie that had like Stallone and Expendables? It's like the Expendables of our favorite Japanese actors. I don't think that's it. Almost. I mean, it had two people. Okay, it didn't have Beat Takeshi in it. If it had Beat Takeshi in it, I would have shit my pants. And well, they would have had to have Tadanobu Asano too. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, anyways, you couldn't then, name anyone else, could you? No. Uh, <laughs> and then it also, and then Hitomi plays Keiko Kirishima, who is the brilliant police detective. And Hitomi's like a former, I guess, younger idol. And did a couple other movies, but it looks like this might have been sort of her late career peak as far as... What and she looks great. She she does. So what'd you think? I fucking loved it, but I'm I'm pretty big on anything that feels really like manga or anime-esque. Mm -hmm. uh, it gave me vibes of Ichi and Blade of the Immortal, who is by one of our other favorite directors. So... It could, you can just tell when a movie is based on an anime or a manga. It just has that feel. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if this was. I know you don't know if it, it was. It definitely had that feeling, though. But it definitely felt like something that could be in syndication outside of the massive amount of gore. Yeah. Well, except for, it. to me, it felt like an Urban Visions film that was 
like a live action film. So Urban yeah. Visions did, they did the American version or release of the original Vampire Hunter D, but they also did Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. But they put out movies like Psycho Diver and Biohunter, which is the yep. and Wicked City and all that kind of shit. It was, but it was way more 2006 than it was 1986. There was no tentacle rape. There was no rape at all. No. And there was no titties. No. And there was no, there was no, I don't think anybody even smoked a cigarette in the film. No. See, that's why I've, I think it felt so very, like, much more, I won't say mainstream, but like mainstream anime or manga. Yeah. Because like I said, I mentioned Ichi and Blade of the Mortal. That's the the stuff that's drawn from the source material is that. You don't mean Ichi the Killer then? You mean something else? No. Wait. Ichi oh. the Killer is based on a manga. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But the, the source material is very violent and yeah. not something that you're going to pick up at a fucking Barnes & Noble. Sure. But if this were a manga, I'm pretty sure I could walk into a Barnes & Noble and buy it. It's bloody, I think, but... I think that's a really good point. It really felt to me like it was a way less... It was a very different, but it reminded me a lot of Boogie Pop Phantom. Yes. It was like Boogie Pop Phantom, if they took one of the arcs and made a whole movie about it... But again, it's still... But it was like Boogie Pop Phantom meets Death Note somehow. Like, it reminded me of Death Note, not in the plot sense, but just... Just because it's so gothy and yeah, so... It, it, there, right? it did feel very, like, teen angsty. It felt very teen angsty. But which, it was also, like, fine. Japanese. Yeah. It's But it was mostly the one character. Well, I guess the bad guy, too. Well, I don't know. Everybody's talking about suicide the whole yeah, time. Yeah, but, like, you know, we've seen other movies where they do that. But, yeah. I mean, just... The, the Nightmare Detective himself and the bad guy are very teen angsty. Yeah, see, and it was funny because the the sort of bad guy, like Shinya Tsukamoto's whole thing in the film, is a little goofy. And it was not watching this and then having seen... Oh, right, the other movie we've seen that's after the later Tsukamoto Ovoir is uh, The Bullet Man. Yes. And the way that The Bullet Man moves is similar to how his villain character in this moves. Yes. So it it makes more sense like that th- that movie now has more context to me having seen Nightmare Detective. But it definitely I'll say that the last 20 to 30 minutes of it really elevated it from beyond where I was for the majority of the film. I thought the other thing is we watched a rip like a decent quality rip, but it was, it was pretty good. Yeah, but it was it, a better rip than Bullet Ballet was. Yeah, it was. But <laughs> but it also Bullet Ballet was black and white and shot on real film, and this was a color film that was shot digitally and color edited digitally. And those movies, in my opinion, tend to look infinitely worse if they're not at their highest resolutions yeah. because it's like watching a video game on a bad TV, and so. All of that definitely hurt my enjoyment of it. There was a lot, there, there was a fair amount of like weird practical grossness towards the end. Which that, they did really well. Yeah, and it was really cool and visually interesting. And I thought that you didn't see a lot of like new tricks per se in the way that a lot of the city stuff and all that is shot, but it's always enjoyable to watch. But it was tough because the premise of the film was fine but the dialogue combined with the way that it was like it just felt like a cheaper more teen oriented film than like compared to bullet ballet which had real like gut punchy 
yeah. existential drama. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, like this this felt like it wasn't making any kind of meaningful statement. No, absolutely not. It was definitely absolutely it, not. It, it was it was just a popcorn movie. Yeah, and it was it was just like a two thousand and six era Japanese horror film. Yeah. It was sort of on like the late end of the J horror wave and it was Shinya Sukamoto stab at it just in the same way that But it uh, felt more like gothic lolita vampires or well bear well a little bit hinting towards what that was was yeah it was on its way to those gore adventure movies yeah and i and i think you know this wasn't uncommon because takashi Miike also did one miss call i think was his wasn't that his big sort of mainstream j-horror film he did during this time we've talked about this i'm not sure i can never remember because it's not yeah the grudge is somebody else he did he did one missed call and the you know, and then the ring is the ring. It felt very much in line with the ring, one missed call, and the grudge, and um, that signal or whatever the one is with, about the. Anyways, I thought it was good, but it was like three point five. It's not his strongest by far. No, in yeah. Fact, out of what I've seen, it might be the. I think it is definitely the weakest. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't come to him to see movies like that. But I will say that I, I it think... It was good. Yeah, if... Well, yeah. And if we watched it again and it was better quality, I'd give it... I'd probably enjoy it more. And I think I'd also enjoy it more a second time just expecting something different. Because I do like that it's a lot... It is a lighter fare. And I really did like the ending. And I think that... Maybe I'm just getting soft in my old age. I think it definitely contributes to it. But I sort of appreciate... He doesn't have like a showy Imamura humanist approach or Kurosawa type of thing per se, but his movies generally are, it's a comment on the difficulty of modern living and the sort of constant like existential pain that we're in. But then most of the time, well, some of the time people opt out and blow their brains out, but also some of the time they, uh, like it feels like people generally almost always decide to persevere in spite of like the clearly cruel and uncaring world. We're not going to get into the ending, right? No. Okay. I'm not going to say what I was about to say, but I, I, I did like it. I thought it was shot very well. The pop idol in it, she does not emote until the very end of the movie. But she does seem to get a little bit better towards she the does. end. She does. She does. In the very beginning, it's her acting feels a little rough. For the first, like, hour. Yeah. Yeah. She She's a super cutie, and she's not amazing, but it's also one of those where it's hard to say whether it's uh, that was what he was trying to get from her or more like that's all she could deliver. Uh, I do think that Tsukamoto and Cronenberg, and their their biggest similarities isn't to yeah, me. Yeah, it did is feel not, kind of Cronenberg. Yeah, it's not it's not the body horror because I think they both do that, but they I don't know like that's a superficial closeness to me. It's more of the way that their characters often interact with each other as if everything's happening through like a layer of plexiglass, but in a way that makes it better sometimes. But Less than he does that way less than Cronenberg. Cronenberg's movies are like people who just like all acted out their scenes without ever having met the other person. Yeah, I also recently found out, told tangent that uh, Cronenberg's kids are all involved in movies, and one of them is a director that's already put out some horror movies. Oh, really? It doesn't seem doesn't seem good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is all of the nightmare stuff mm-hmm. and the way the 
nightmare creature is shot in that is very Tsukamoto. It's yeah. like by the book Tsukamoto. Shaky cam, big loud metal sounds. Like, yeah, a lot of, of squishy yeah, yeah, it's really it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Definitely worth seeing. I think you can only watch it on Amazon if you paid twelve dollars to buy it. Definitely a better investment than Martyrs, but <laughs> is it? What? <laughs> How, that's not even a funny joke to me. For me, so it is because up. because I get to fuck with you so much yeah, about okay. the fact that you own Martyrs, and then like a month later, it was on there for free. Anyways, I would still recommend it, but it's, it's it's certainly different. It's a lighter watch than a lot of his other movies. So if you want to watch some Tsukamoto, but you don't feel like your brain can caving, or really have to sit there and think, or really even want to watch one of his more arty films, this is something that you can throw on. Sure. And it's still, even though it's more quote-unquote mainstream or commercial... It still is definitely weirder than most. Oh yeah, and is it's just you know it's that in between of commercial and Shinya Sukamoto. It's like Shin, it's Sukamoto light. Sukamoto diet, now in cans. So two oh oh, and the music fucking rips. Yeah, Ishikawa really did a great job on the soundtrack. I will say that for sure. So the next film he did was the sequel, Nightmare Detective Two. There's a Nightmare Detective Two. Yeah, cancel the podcast. We're gonna go watch it right fucking now. It uh, came out in 2008, two years later. It's 102 minutes. And Ryui Matsuda reprises his role as the nightmare detective. And they asked Hitomi to come back, but she declined, which is surprising to me because I looked at her IMDb page after this. <laughs> she and did I not thought, do well. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I feel like you should have taken that. It's quite possible that she found the experience to be unpleasant because Shinya Tsukamoto can be pretty demanding to work for. And I don't know how he'd treat... But then also, like... Everybody kind of loves him, even though he's tough in his own way. Part of me is waiting for you to be like, and then came Nightmare Detective 3, and then came Nightmare Avengers. No, uh, but that one deals with, basically, the Nightmare Detective continues to do his Nightmare Detective thing, and one of the underlying themes of the first movie is how we deal with grief. And I think it's my understanding is like, that's kind of the central theme of the movie. I've actually heard that it's better because it's less. The first one you said, uh, was how we deal with grief. Yeah. Grief. I, I was feeling more, um, trauma, but that's okay. Grief and trauma. Different things. I guess you're right. <laughs> uh, I just like making you frustrated. Please go on. No. Well, I mean, I think that whatever grief and trauma are both part of the first film and the second film deals with those two things again in a more direct way. I've heard that the movie is better. I've never seen it so I don't really know, but because it's less tied to a probably anime manga feeling formula of like this, you know, sort of like serial killer versus the nightmare detective thing right, type bullshit it's it might have more room for existential you know heft but who knows i don't i haven't seen it tetsuo the bullet man also known as tetsuo the bullet man in japanese uh also known as tetsuo the bullet man the, the bullet guy 2010 so bullet boy tetsuo the book Iron Man, the cinema of Shinya Tsukamoto on Fab Press, makes allusions and talks directly about the idea of a third Tetsuo movie over and over and over. 
And there was talks originally with Tarantino was going to set him up to do this and, and bankroll it. And there was different people that wanted to be involved. But by the time Sukumoto had the real ability to do this or have like any number of financers be involved, he didn't want to do that because every time he ever tried to, it was always a fucking huge mess. And also had it just increasingly moved away from this focus of like metal and fetishism and whatever had the... He had at one point this idea of Tetsuo flying at some point during the film, but like knew that that would be too expensive or too silly looking. Tetsuo the plane man. Right. <laughs> that would be... Tetsuo would the that. helicopter man. Yeah, that would, that would, I would definitely see that. R.I.P. Kobe. Those things don't work out. <laughs> <laughs> and he winds up sort of doing an amalgamation of ideas that have been percolating for 20 years about Tetsuo. Eric Bosick... What? I'm just, I'm just thinking of him going, so what about, like, Tetsuo, but he's a gun? Huh? 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 I get, like, 60 minutes out of that. I mean, all three movies, Tetsuo, like, has cannons in him. Yeah, so, that's true. And especially in the body hammer, they're much more prevalent. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're going to have to pause the podcast to murder my dog. <laughs> so Eric Bosick plays Anthony... The the titular bullet man. It's a white guy. Yeah. Well, he's like half Asian, though. I don't know. Looking. Yeah, but it threw me for a loop when we fucking watched it. Yeah. I was like, what? Akiko Mono plays his wife, Yuriko. And Shinya Tsukamoto plays the metal fetishist for the third time. The movie no. is primarily in English. And boy, does it ever suffer from it. So much like when we watched Shin Godzilla. And we watched it in the dub and thought, like, they're doing their best, but it still sucks because it's a dub. They, this was filmed in English, but they should have, like, it felt like a dub because the performances are so stiff and feel so disconnected. Yeah, that's true. Now, again, that might be, as a Western, non-native Japanese speaker, that might be how... Also known as a weeb. Yeah, sure. But that might be how all of his films feel for Japanese audiences. I don't know. I'm not a native Japanese speaker. But I doubt that somehow. I do think that the language shift, because he's not a native English speaker, it's probably harder to shoot a movie in a different language when already dialogue is not always the most important part of your films. Well, yeah, it's just like, you know, English... Uh, English jokes don't translate into Japanese. Yeah. Or... I actually watched a thing where a Japanese comedian was trying to take jokes that were English and translate them into Japanese. Nobody was laughing. Nobody. Yeah, well, and they also, you know, right. So there's, there's a variety of reasons that make that super difficult. But the other problem with the film is that it's also just not as good as any other Tsukamoto film before it. True, but I still like it. Yeah, I do like this movie. I've watched it several times. I like it a little bit better each time, but it it comes off instead of as Tetsuo the 2010 version, it's like Tetsuo the PS3 like FMV version or or like cinematic in between stuff of a Square Enix game or something or like a Konami game really. It has it has like a Kojima quality of nonsense silliness on top of super seriousness. You fucking leave Kojima alone. I, it's just a 
I mean, that's his style. Like, he's both things. He's very silly, and then he's also very serious, and everybody, like... I mean, this movie doesn't have people just never stopping talking, which is a bonus, but it's just a fucking mess. And the biggest thing, like, if you've watched the new Tsukamoto films, you expect a lot of shaky cam, but this movie, this is... I'm not going to make the obvious joke. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> I will not. Michael J. Fox. No, no. That guy is a treasure. But I'm pretty sure you made that joke while we were watching the movie. Yeah, I'm sure that I did. I've made it many times about many things, but I'm, I'm much like my other types of bad humor. I'm going to... I'm. It's a new year. New me. 2020. It's like someone strapped a GoPro to your hand while you were jerking off and tried to film the movie that way. Yeah, while I was on coke. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's basically it. It's to the point where if you're not sitting in the center of the TV, you will get motion sick. You may vom. Yeah, so, you know, there's just, like, a lot of choices that are bizarre. There are some really cool visual scenes, but instead of being the entire movie is a really cool visual scene or, like, hour-long music video, it's a handful of scenes that look really good, and then a lot of stuff that looks like shit. And there's bad, like, digital blood effects and gunshots. Yeah, that's true. The ending's kind of cool, though. The ending's kind of cool. And the Bullet Man himself looks sick. Yeah, and but I totally agree with the... You know how I feel about digital blood. Yeah. I fucking hate it. Yeah, I fucking hate it, too. If and, you use it in your movie, I hate you. And when... So the movie, he's... The Bullet Man is awakened when his son is killed rather than kidnapped, like in the second movie. And he straight up gets, like, murked, run over by a car, and it's awesome. But then he goes downhill from killing a kid. Like, how is that possible? So, I don't know. It's just... The, the, the best thing about it, in my opinion, is that it's Chu Ishikawa's most pounding, awesome soundtrack of them all. The, the early ones are really, really good, and they have a bunch of weirdo synth stuff in it, which I like, but is dated, but I still like. Like, it's not bad. Per se, but this movie is like diamond-tipped Tetsuo soundtrack. And then it's got the Nine Inch Nails theme, which I'm going to jump yeah. into in a second. So I kind of had this analogy, because I was thinking about this. Uh -huh. um, actually, when when we did our earlier episodes of this, but uh, the Tetsuo trilogy mm -hmm. is kind of like the Godfather trilogy for me. Okay. Love the first one. Love the second one. Mm -hmm. Really love the second one. Third one's okay. Yeah, I've never seen the third Godfather, so I can't. But I feel like maybe that could be a it's okay. viable reference. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the second one's the greatest sequel ever made. Yeah, except for maybe Aliens by James Cameron. Except for not really, because that's just two different. We're genres. talking about straight cinema, though. Yeah, we're not talking about me with a boner. So as we talked about last time, Sukamoto and Trent Reznor were trying to team up for a long, long time. And had continuing issues, you know, where Sugimoto would reach out to Reznor. Reznor would be like, oh yeah, hit me with the details. He'd send him the details and then he'd never get the details and nothing would happen. So when this movie was starting to be made, Sugimoto reached out to Trent Reznor again and was like, I know you said you wanted to do music for Tetsuo. If I ever did another Tetsuo, well, here's your chance. And he was like, fuck yeah. And then somewhere communication breaks down again and Trent Reznor completely forgets about it. And they're waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally they're like, okay, well, we have to show this movie. And it premieres at Venice. And then Reznor finds out and is like, oh, fuck. Like, dude, I... And I forget if he either had the track already done and it never got to Tsukamoto. Or he realized the movie got released and was like, I was supposed to do a track for this. But he puts a track together. 
and sends it to him. And then they recut the whole ending of the film and add in this track that should have been like the main theme from the beginning. Was this before or after the MTV spot? This is, you know, 15 years later. 16 years later. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, the song is really cool. It fits very much in with what Nun Snails were sort of doing. I mean, obviously it fits in with what they were doing around this time. Really? It, it has a lot of, it, I think is very similar to sort of the ghost stuff, but it's more similar to like year zero, but year zero's, uh, instrumental parts. The song is not entirely instrumental but the vocals are barely there it's not like a, a nine inch nails ballad it just says these really great like orange and red sounding squealy digital fm synthesis bits on top of like massive bass God, that's what squiddly diddly yeah and then it also has piano like any good nine inch nails song it yeah. has a lot of echoes of driver down from the lost highway soundtrack which trent reznor did way back in 97 he really nails it and has a lot of people know, like, Reznor does shitloads of film score now. That's kind of, like, what he really excels at, because his instrumental production stuff is just The awesome. man's a great musician. Yeah, he's, in, he's We need awesome. to watch Lost Highway. Yeah, for sure. So, anyways, it's, uh, it's not my favorite. It's probably my least favorite Tsukamoto film I've ever seen. I still enjoy it. I like Nightmare Detective more than this, for sure. Really? Part. Oh, yeah, because, I mean... You're making a movie as part of the series that defined you as a director and opened everyone's eyes to Japanese cinema. And then, like, this is the third movie. And it's it just feels like, what the fuck? Like, what is there? There's nothing offered in the film that isn't done a hundred times better in the prior two iterations of the movie. So that, I mean, that's like the big problem. It just does everything. Do it's because he moved too far away from what he used to do? No, not at all. Like, it, it's more of he made it in English with a bunch of people who should not. Like, the main guy might speak English as his first language, but he's certainly not a very good actor. Yeah. And then the Japanese girl is really hot, and you can barely understand her because her English is, like, not great, which is... So you're still watching with subtitles <laughs> yeah, anyway. Right, which is brutal. And then, like, the whole plot of Tetsuo in this film is stupid and it just feels like a bad manga translated into a worse live action film that if it was anyone else doing it's it you would have been dubbed. <laughs> yeah you would have said no way like you you know so but still worth a watch I guess almost well it's not very long yeah it's I enjoy long. it so it just it just all there, feels overly digital there's a lot of things I would there's a, I'd rather watch this than the, a bunch of other stuff that I've seen. Sure, for sure. Yeah. So, like, this or High Tension. Oh, yeah. I would watch this every time. Yeah. This or Martyrs. <laughs> I'd just shoot myself rather than think about watching Martyrs. Okay, so moving... With a bullet, man? <laughs> moving right along, Kotoko... Crushing it tonight. ...came out the next year in 2011... So the movie stars Coco, who was the one who wrote the theme for the theme for Vital, as I previously mentioned. It was the film is based on a short story that Coco wrote, which then Sukumoto turned into a screenplay and basically made the movie with her as the star, and then he's the co-star as per usual. And she plays a single mother who is experiencing massive hallucinations that are basically causing her to have like a mental break, mental breakdown. Been there. And her child's taken away. 
And the only way she can put the visions, like, sort of knock them to the side is to sing. And being like a Japanese idol in the mid to late 2000s doesn't mean just necessarily like hyper brutal, sugary, sweet J-pop. I think Coco's way more along the lines of the fictional pop star Lily Chow Chow from the film All About Lily Chow Chow. I have never seen this movie, but I somehow feel like this movie would remind me of that and then make me want to kill myself in a good way. And I really, really want to see this. Kind of like The Revenant. Yeah, kind of like The Revenant. And, you know, basically what I already said is the plot. She starts a violent relationship with, a volatile relationship, rather, with Shinya Tsukamoto's character when he finds her on a bus singing to herself and shit happens. And I don't I don't want to read any more other than that. It's a muck. It won the Best Film Award at the Horizonte section of the Venice uh, Film Festival when it premiered, and it was the first Japanese film to do so. I've heard that it's really gorgeous and beautiful, and I've also heard that it's really dumb, but, you know, I don't just... I just generally try not to read reviews because people are fucking idiots, yeah. and what one person likes is... People said Pacific Rim is dumb, and yeah. those people are, are dumb. cowards. They're the dumb ones, this terrified uh his next film came out three years later fires on the plane nobi in japanese 87 minutes long prequel to snakes on a plane no it is the remake of a film by the same name by kon ichikawa from 1959 it's an anti-war film that follows a japanese soldier as he struggles to stay alive at the end of world war ii and i think he gets stranded in the philippines or he's stationed there it's unclear to me but basically what's the difference am i right yeah he uh, is having a bad time of it. My understanding from some of the interviews I read, it was really graphically violent in a way that he sort of had moved away from for a while. Like kind of that, um, oh fuck, what is that movie that Spielberg did? The World War Two one. Saving Private Ryan. Where like it's just no hold barred horrors of war. Yeah, so there's just realistic violence, hardcore gore. It's not like The Longest Day where... It was sort of a fun version of World War II. It's just like the bummer version. It's also an anti-war film. I feel like it would be pretty interesting. You know, haven't seen it. Don't know. Okay, so this was the last film that Tsukamoto did with Chu Ishikawa because, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Ishikawa died of cancer on December 21st, 2017 at the age of 51. And from... Tetsuo the Iron Man onwards he soundtracked every movie that he did I think there was maybe one if there was one I said it in whatever episode that he didn't do but uh, they were pretty much inextricably linked not inextricably but um, you know they were they're both of their careers they were partners were, yeah they were deeply linked together and as a person who enjoys movie soundtracks and industrial music and everything else, when Jewish died, wow. yeah, I know. Uh, in 2017, I remember because it was posted on the forums, and I was like, "That fucking sucks," and it continues to suck. So, yeah, Tatsuya Nakamura is in the film, who plays the cool pimp drug dealer club owner in Bullet Ballet. Yes, he is in Fire. Fires on the Plains, and he's also in the more recent film, the most recent film called Killing, or Zan in Japanese, from 2018. But before I jump into that, I did want to make a special mention. So we've talked about a little bit here and there. Tsukamoto was uh, 
has also acted in a lot of a fair amount of films since he's been directing. He's in most of his own movies, but he's also been in a fair amount of movies for other directors. And I think most noteworthy is for American audiences is he was in Martin Scorsese's Silence, which came out in 2016, which was about Jesuit missionaries going over to Japan in the, I guess it was the 1700s, 1800s, whatever it was, 17th century. Yeah, so 1600s, holy shit. It was a long time ago. And they go over there to sort of crack Japan open for trade and also proselytizing of the Christian faith. It doesn't go well. And Andrew Garfield, who's the boy from Taken? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver, uh, Tadanobu Asano, isn't it? Yeah. And Shinya Tsukamoto. So... Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver are the are sent over. They're the Jesuit missionaries who are sent over to find out what happened to Liam Neeson. And they go and they meet some Japanese people who have converted but are secretly practicing Christianity because it's during I I don't know my Japanese history well enough to say. I think it was I think it was during the formation of the Tokugawa Shogunate, but maybe it was before a little after. But needless to say, they weren't super into the idea of outsiders coming with their white religions and fucking up all their Japanese shit. And so they murdered those people who practiced Christianity. Yeah, Shintoism ruled pretty hard, too. Well, and there was Buddhism, and Japan's always been sort of having different re- religions, but like anywhere else in the world, religion's always been pretty politicized, so it's just a different method of control. And having outside religions destabilizes countries, which other countries know, which is why they send people to proselytize. It's not like the church wasn't directly tied to different countries. So, and, and these were Jesuit missionaries from Portugal. So it benefited Portugal because Portugal was a major trading nation. Anyways, Shinya Tsukamoto plays one of the devout Christian Japanese people. And he's in a good chunk of the movie and is, gives like an amazing performance this movie sounds awesome it's not i was really disappointed honestly wow so yeah it seems like everything i should like it's a meditation on faith and culture and this that and the other and it shows like ancient japan and i thought it was boring and it's quote like meditation on anything was superficial and a waste of my time it's really well acted and it's very nice to look at. And then Tadanobu Asano's character fucking rules as this just like ruthless interpreter slash court person and who interacts with Andrew Garfield. But I just generally don't like Andrew Garfield. I did not like him any more in this movie than in anything else, although to see him be tortured here and there was pretty great. But Shinya Tsukamoto crushes it in his role and it's one of those movies that really like shows him getting to do some much more serious acting than a lot of the other stuff he's in. But I, I think generally in a lot of his movies, he's good, but his just movies and roles for himself in his own films are quite different than like a serious dramatic role in a three and a half hour epic about 17th century Japan and How'd Adam religion. Uh, I, I always like Adam driver. Yeah, he's so a great fucking actor. Yeah, he's good. Um, He's not in it nearly enough. Liam Neeson's barely in it at all, which is fine. I don't really give a shit one way or the other. Tadanobu Asano is the real star of the film. He he absolutely crushes it and is very different than the characters you normally see him as. He, <laughs> I didn't even recognize who it was until the very... I was like, how the fuck do I know this guy? 
And then I saw his name in the crowd. I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. But anyways, it really, it bears a mention. I would be interested to rewatch it because I could have just been in a bad mood. I also saw it at the Ritz and had to pee like seven times, but I had to sit all the way on the inside of my lane. So every time I had to pee, it was like a whole thing and everybody was pissed at me. And Well, in my opinion, Scorsese, Scorsese makes two types of films. Either they're really fucking good or they fucking suck. Yeah, or they're there's, really long and boring. Yeah, there's no real in-between. I thought... The Irishman was boring for the most part, but I've talked to a lot of people who are like, oh my god, so good. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it because I don't care. So, But I'd say give Silence a shot, if you, especially if you want to see Sukimoto doing something different. And it's also you get to see just tons of like undeveloped beaches or shores or jungles of Japan in a really cool way, and that stuff was really cool. Or if you would just want to see Sukimoto in a movie he didn't direct, which is one of the best movies I've ever made, watch in Godzilla. Yeah. So finally, and we will end with Killing, which is an 80-minute film from 2018. It's a Jidaigeki film, which is like a period piece film set in 19th century Edo about a ronin who is concerned that the sort of national peace is soon going to be shattered. My understanding is basically he's got to kill a dude and he really doesn't want to do it. And so it's him just kind of like trying to decide between fulfilling his duty to his lord to kill some guy and his own moral obligations of not wanting to kill dudes or something. Don't Ronas not have lords? Isn't that the whole point of them being Ronas? I guess that is a good point. I don't know. I could find very little information because it's so recent. I mean, you had me at Ronan, so... Yeah. It's the first movie without Chuishikawa. I've read that it's like a very boring movie that has samurai but i feel like that was also from people who haven't watched a ton of old japanese jigadeki and know that like most of the time good samurai movies that are just boring samurai movies right and a lot of times those are the best ones i don't know i will say that you aoe plays the main female character who was one of the main actresses in all about lily child child which i mentioned a little bit ago and she's what's that movie about all about lily child child Give me one sec. Uh, we're going to end the Shinya Tsukamoto episode talking about a movie by Shunji Iwai. But <laughs> it, it's totally worth it if it gets you to see it. And as I said, Tatsuya Nakamura from Bullet Ballet is in it. I'm very interested in this. These more recent movies are all harder to get because I think people are less interested in distributing... Modern Japanese cinema? Well, just modern Tsukamoto films because he's not making the waves he used to because he's not making insane, hyper-violent, hyper-negative, you know, brain-blowy-outy craziness and is making slightly more traditional films dealing with slightly more traditional topics. I'm sure that they're still very cool and feel like Tsukamoto films, though, so I would very much like to see them. And I... I want to end the episode by saying this. Well, first of all, All About Lily Chow Chow. <laughs> Gotta say two things. All About Lily Chow Chow is an amazing film. It's basically a coming of age drama in turn of the century, like early 2000s Japan. It A lot of it takes place in Okinawa and then it takes place in a smaller Japanese town. I watched it in high school. It's about high school kids. It's horribly depressing. And it's like a masterpiece by Shunji Iwai who makes a bunch of weird fucking movies. And I highly recommend it to anybody who's into Japanese films. And if you've ever seen a slice of life anime, 
here's something that's like that, but way more devastating and actually. But on good. LSD and depressing. No, oh, no. Have you ever seen School Days? No, but mm. it's it's like really a powerful film, and it has made like a very deep mark on me. I haven't watched it in years because I'm just like I don't want to feel that way. Like I don't, I'm good. Like it's just it's a super grim. Uh, but I feel like if you watch it at 30, having never seen it before, you might think, like, this is stupid high school and, you know, existential bullshit. So, check that movie out. No, I'm into that. I'm past my prime. I'm <laughs> just longing for death at this point. Sure. So, Shinya Tsukamoto is one of my favorite directors of all time. There's no question, having done this series, I only like him more reading interviews with him, watching interviews with him, reading this book about him, watching his movies, watching movies I'd never seen by him. Uh, It's just galvanized my love for him into something stronger than I ever knew. And having a sick uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man tattoo is just like a small homage to a director that is really... Wait! Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, (laughs) but it's... It's more than that. Like, it's just, he's a, you know, he's like an artist uh, in a much greater sense. And I, I mean, if you're gotten through the third episode on this, then you're probably into it, but check him the fuck out. Like he's, he's the fucking man. His I movie... hope by the third episode, you guys have seen one of his movies <laughs> yeah. you haven't seen any of them. It's really just so good. And I... I haven't seen his most recent ones, but, like, I've never, like, even at his most disappointing, it's still a Pretty director. fucking good. Yeah, and, and definitely not like Cronenberg or some other auteur directors from the 80s or even early 90s who have since gone on to really make some recklessly oh, God, bad such films. stinkers. Yeah, like, he does not have Carpenter, those. you fucking let oh, us down, man. Jesus, yeah. Oh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but we finally watched, I guess we'll just... I guess we'll end here. Frank and I finally watched Prince of Darkness. Ah. And it was by far the slowest, most boring fucking movie I've ever watched in my life. Nothing happens. The whole movie. They get squirted with the water. Nothing hap. I'm... Mmm... Yeah, I was just, I'm still mad about it. We, so we watched it, I think, under a poor set of circumstances because I would agree that the movie pretty much sucks especially compared to like all other carpenter films which are nothing but balls to the wall action most of the time or at least a well that's not entirely true but they they're exciting this movie is mostly not it just suffers like it's clearly it's got bad writing no money a silly plot bad no makeup. actual prince of darkness in the whole fucking movie uh... But it's got some sweet parts, and it's been sampled a bunch by Overlook and some other good artists, so it's got that going for it. And the soundtrack is sick, but yes. Watching it the most recent time, I was like, wow, nothing really does happen for the first hour of the movie. It just goes Pretty much the whole movie. Pretty much the whole movie. It's not great. It's just just a bunch of shots of a fountain. Shinya Tsukamoto, though, he's very great. Never let us down. Yeah. So, thank you so much for bearing with us in our huge hiatus between the second and third part of this. Uh, We needed it. I needed it. I didn't have time to get to it sooner. I wanted to do it justice. We will. I am certainly getting this new box set. We will report back on both future Tsukamoto film watching. Do you guys want to hear more about Tsukamoto? (laughs) And also the quality and content of that box set when we get it. The longest series we've done so far. 
Would you like to know more? Yeah. So until then, later nerds. Later nerds.